when we think about the story of Saul becoming Paul, it is one of a complete life transformation. You have a guy that would have been the face of Christian persecution who now becomes one of the biggest proponents of Christ, writing quite a bit of the New Testament about what Christ has done in his life. So let's go to Acts chapter 9 and see where this transformation took place. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to uh, to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, that he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city, and you will be told told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hands into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tars- er, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he's come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all those who call upon your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and he was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. This conversion of Paul is really considered to be a crucial point in God's history with his people. 
because we would see Saul go on to preach the good news to non-Jews. I am a non-Jew. Maybe many of you are also non-Jews. So this story has direct impact what came afterwards to each and every one of our lives. You know, we're actually introduced to Saul in a couple chapters earlier, Acts chapter 7, verses 57 and 58. And, and this, so this is at the uh, eventual stoning of Stephen, but Stephen was, was preaching uh, who Christ was and that he had died and that he was raised. Um, and people covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, and they all rushed at him. And next... And they dragged him out of the city, and they began to stone Stephen. And this is where we meet Saul. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coat at the feet of a young man named Saul. This is the point in time where Saul became the face of persecution, you could say, of the Christians. Saul realized that the old way, the way that they had known all their life was incompatible with this new way that Stephen was proclaiming, the new way that the Christians and those disciples were saying. Saul believed that he had to have zeal and passion and energy devoted to the traditions of the Jewish fathers because that was the true way and this new way was not. There was no way this new way could be any way God wants you to follow. And so, Stephen was stoned and he was killed. They were trying to stop the new way from from spreading. And Saul was lauded, praised even for the persecution of Christians laying their coats at the feet of Saul. Saul's entire life had been devoted toward God. He would call himself a Pharisee of Pharisees. He would call himself one who chose to do the right thing all the time. He was the one who was devoted to the word that he had been given, and he was going to make sure that that was the word that we all followed. He was so devoted to his own group of people, the Israelites. There's some commentaries that would even call him in the Saul state as an ultra-nationalist. He focused on God's love towards that one people group. And so Saul continued his journey being the face of persecution, being devoted to the old way that so much so that he would bring people to prison. In Acts chapter 8, verse 3, Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, that's where the churches were meeting, right, houses, and dragging off both men and women and putting them into prison. He would go into the synagogues in Jerusalem trying to find all the Christians and drag them out of there because their way was incompatible with God's way, at least so he believed. After Saul's conversion, he would go on to write about his encounter, and he would go on to write about his 
life before Christ. And in Galatians, we find this. For you have heard of my previous way of life in Judaism, how I intensely persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. It was Paul, or Saul, taking upon himself this yoke to, to take care of all these bastions of blasphemy. All these people who were claiming that Christ rose from the dead. All these blasphemers that were following the wrong way. It was his job, he felt, ordained by God to set them all right. And so he asked for letters to the synagogues. He was working with the Sadducees, which he really didn't agree with them and their theology, but he really didn't like the Christians, so he was okay working with the Sadducees. So he got these letters to the synagogues in Damascus that whoever he found there that followed the way, the way of Christ, the message of Christ dying and rising from the dead, that he could take them and bring them back to prison in Jerusalem. It was because the testimony of Christ had had spread, that he needed to leave the friendly confines, you could say, of Jerusalem, picking up his God-ordained mission and taking it to other cities. Some of it probably has to do with the Christians and their desire to spread the good news and follow the mission that God had sent them, that they witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and to the ends of the earth, and And you see that. But some of it, too, could have been the fact that Jerusalem was the place where most people were getting persecuted. And so that may have drove some Christians out of the cities into the outer reaches of other towns like Damascus and and out into other areas. And then there, there would be the natural ability to also continue that mission, to spread the good news. So Paul headed 135 miles north to Damascus. His goal was to put an end to this theological movement, this wrong way, to tell people that, no, this is not right. This is blasphemy. And so with with Paul plodding across each mile of the 135 miles, he was heading to, to uh, Damascus, I assume he was probably stewing in his own mind. Whenever, have you ever had it where you feel like someone is making wrong decisions? Where you feel like they're doing the wrong thing and you somehow like, you stew on it. You think about it and you're like, I can't believe that people believe that thing. I can't believe they're, they're following that way instead of my way is always the right way. I don't know what, you know, right? right? And, and you're thinking and stewing on this. And perhaps Saul was, was doing that same thing. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, he sees this light, a heavenly light flashing all around him. Nothing like he had experienced before. It stops him in his tracks. Perhaps he's reminded of places in the Scripture A light was shown, and it ended up being God's presence. Think of Moses, a light from 
a burning bush, perhaps, but so in Ezekiel, as a light was mentioned, uh, I forget what chapter, I didn't write it down, but he fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul. And he heard his name twice. And perhaps he thought about the ways God in the Old Testament would, would multiply or repeat names. Like in Genesis 22, Abraham, Abraham. Or in Genesis 46, Jacob, Jacob. Or in Exodus, Moses, Moses. And it continues, 1 Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. And now Paul hears, or Saul hears, Saul, Saul. And perhaps, perhaps in Saul's mind, he's thinking, the Lord. And he falls to the ground and and thinking the Lord's going to say, Saul, you are doing a great job, buddy. You are doing exactly what I want you to do. You're you're trying to stomp out this old way and making sure people are following my way, the way that I have taught for years and years and years. He was going to experience the presence of God encouraging him to follow along the way. But probably to his terror, that isn't what he heard. The gleaming one, the one that the canyons didn't see. Uh-oh, I just broke this. Anyway, the gleaming one that the others didn't see was Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Saul experiences the full risen glory of Christ, seeing the the Lord in a distinct way. And he realizes he was wrong. The disciples were right all along that Jesus did truly rise from the grave, that Jesus truly is God, that Jesus truly is the Messiah. And he's completely converted. This idea that this was blasphemy has has now gone away because the evidence is too much to take in, even with him being on the ground, realizing that he had been persecuting Jesus himself by persecuting the Christians. Years later, in 2 Corinthians, Paul would talk about how he saw the very face, the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Jesus showing Saul the new way. And I think this conversion of Saul shows so deeply an ultimate example of how God will take the initiative to save the enemy. 
when you think about it, all the, the people that Saul persecuted, those who were killed like Stephen, Saul being the proponent of it, and yet God comes in through Jesus, through this stroll that Saul had to Damascus to continue persecution set in his mind, and God reaches down He wants to see transformation in the opponent of Christianity's spread. Recognizing that Paul's just a sinner who's in the need of love and salvation. And it wrecked Paul's life, Saul's life. It wrecked his world. He was so devoutly focused on one area that he couldn't go on calling himself Saul anymore. Such a great transition happened that he needed a new name. He had been so devout about wrong convictions that when he was enlightened in the way of Jesus, he could no longer live that way. The evidence was all too overwhelming. The, The desire to follow Christ took over his entire life. And God had a special job for him. That he would show all the other nations the love that God had for them. Saul, ultranationalist, the one that you would probably least expect to be the one who would be saying, God loves you to the Gentiles. And that's kind of the humor of God. And where you know that it's really, truly the work of God working in someone's life where you can say, I can't believe that person, Saul, went on to follow Christ and to spread the good news. Jesus not only appeared to Saul, But Jesus also appeared to a guy named Ananias. We don't actually know much about Ananias. We don't know how he got to Damascus. We don't know how he even became a Christian. We just know that that Jesus comes in a vision to Ananias. In Acts 22, do we have that? No, we don't. In Acts 22, uh, we hear that he was a devout observer. Of, of the law, and he was highly respected by the Jews living in Damascus. He was a believer, and he knew what it meant to follow the voice of Jesus, to be aware when it was Jesus speaking into his life that he would be able to listen. And he would go on and to, to do what Jesus told him to do, which was to help Saul. But there wasn't Maybe you could say a leaping up right away to go help Saul from Tarsus. Because though Ananias was a Christian, a a follower of Jesus, he knew what Saul was like. And Ananias is kind of like, hey, Jesus, don't you remember who Saul is, right? I've heard about what he's done 
in Jerusalem that he's been, you know, persecuting all the Christians, kind of like me, and, and you're going to have me go meet him. Kind of sounds like a bad idea, and Jesus is like, yeah, I know, <laughs> but I got a plan for him. And that's all it took. I have a plan for him to be the mouthpiece to the Gentiles, so, so go. And the obedience that Ananias has in, in responding to the word that Christ gave him to go, to, to save and to give sight, you could say, to Saul. So Ananias left. He left his own home going to, to Straight Street, to the house of Judas to, to walk in there to Saul of Tarsus, the per persecutor of Christians, to lay his hands on him, to pray over him, to help Saul receive sight, and to begin his life as the apostle to the Gentiles. God taking this hardline, fanatical Pharisee, changing his life in such a way that he can't but help, no matter how much sorrow and grief and suffering he would experience in his own life, being shipwrecked three times, and some believe it might actually even be four, being bitten by snakes, to be beaten by others around, I think it was Iconium or Lystra, that he would even among the suffering he would experience at the hands of people he would follow alongside of that would now turn against him because he was following the way, he, he wouldn't stop preaching the name of Christ to share that God loves even those who are not Israelite. It's amazing because other than the word of Christ, Saul didn't have to prove anything to Ananias. Saul didn't, didn't say anything about, I promise I won't persecute you, right? Uh, he didn't say, you know, I've repented of everything that I've done. He didn't, didn't say, um, you know, I'm turning from my own way and, and I believe in Jesus. Instead, he received the sight from Ananias and his life was evident by the fruit that came afterwards. So he went it. And Paul received sight. And he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, when God calls someone, like God called Saul, he bids them to come and to die, dying to themselves. So it is with Saul, and so it is with Ananias, and so it is with us. We think of, we think of Saul dying to that old life, that Pharisaic life, that life where it was only Israel who would be saved, dying to that. Ananias dying too dying to what he believed about forgiveness and how far it could reach, that it could even reach someone who could persecute Christians. Dying to himself and perhaps his desires for retribution upon those persecutors. 
What does it look like in our life, dying to ourself, to, to flex those muscles of faith? Maybe it's when we submit our lives to the way of Jesus that scales would fall off our own eyes as well. That the scales of our grudge holding begin to be released. That that grudge that we've been holding on to since high school or, or college or our 40s or 50s is, is now something that we can give over to Christ and we can let that scale fall off our eyes. Perhaps the scales of our attitudes of moral superiority are laid bare before Christ. Perhaps the scales of our misguided intentions, just like Saul had intentions to, to follow the way and to show people that the Christians were wrong, where those he realized were misguided intentions and he was, was making the wrong moves. Maybe that will fall off our eyes and in our life. Maybe the scales of our stubborn resistance to what God is trying to do among his people. Maybe the scales of our arrogant entitlement that we deserve to have things go our way all the time. Maybe they fall off. The scales of our self-centeredness, you could say. Scales of our bitterness, the scales of our anger and rage, the scales which cause us to desire to not forgive others perhaps fall off when we encounter deeply the Spirit of Christ who says, come. Come. And then too, we could we could make a move just like Ananias does. This word right here, brother. When the scales of our eyes fall off, we don't look at someone for what they have done in the past. Instead, when they devote their life to Christ, when they say, yes, I'll follow Christ, they become part of the family. And Ananias says, Brother, come. Brother, you are, you are one of us. You are part of the family. You belong here and you belong to God because He has claimed you as His own. Pray that the scales, whatever they may be in our life, that keeps us from seeing others this way, perhaps, would fall off. That the scales in our own life, in the, in the way we live, that they would fall off. That we would be invigorated, passionate. That we would have zeal, just the way Saul did, for, for preaching God's Word and speaking to everyone we encounter, that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the, the way to experience true sight of what is important. Jesus is the way to experience true love. Jesus is the way.
so much so that we could think of our greatest enemy, the person that we don't like the most here in this world and could invite them along on that journey as well. That God even died for them. That they could have life with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your your grace shown to us through Saul. That no one is a lost cause. That by your power and the power of the Spirit, lives may be completely transformed. Lives that would at one point persecute you or be disinterested in you or actively push you away would somehow be drawn to you to never stop speaking about your name and your glory. So we pray for that in our life. That we would experience that. That any scales that remain in our life would fall off by the power of your spirit. That we may be invigorated for your purpose in our life. The purpose of sharing the never giving up, never stopping, always and forever love that you have for all people. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.